I wonder what choices you've made this week. I'm sure you've made lots of choices. Uh, What to eat, what coat to wear as the weather changes. That's a tricky one this time of year, isn't it? Uh, Whether uh, and how you're going to respond to that rather rude email that you perhaps got from a work colleague. Uh, Whether you're going to answer the phone to that friend or relative that you might get stuck on with a bit longer than you want to be. You will have made lots of decisions this week. Apparently, we make up to 35,000 choices in a day, apparently. Apparently, there is some debate over that number. But even if we make one-tenth of that, that's 3,500 choices a day. My head hurts even beginning to think about what that means for a week and a month and a year. We make lots of choices and decisions all the time, don't we? Well, in 2008, I had quite a big choice to make, a big decision. I had finished doing my degree in theology that I had been studying, and I needed to know what I was going to do next. Uh, Studying theology, whilst had been really interesting and I had loved it and enjoyed it, didn't lead necessarily to an obvious career path. I mean, other than perhaps standing here now, but I didn't have that in my mind at that point. I definitely didn't think I was going to be a minister then. I didn't study law to become a lawyer, or I didn't study teaching to be a teacher, although I did do that a bit later. At that point in my life, I thought, well, what am I going to do with myself? I finished this degree. And so I thought for a little while and decided that I would spend some time volunteering overseas. Uh, So I did a bit of research, and I found an organization, a Christian charity, uh, that you could do some volunteering with. Uh, So I went and had some conversations with them, and it was decided that I would be sent to Jordan uh, in the Middle East for three months to go and work in a school for the deaf. Uh, And this was a profoundly uh, important experience in my life. Uh, But before we went, uh, we had to go and do some training. We were sent for two weeks up to Queen's in Birmingham, uh, a college there, to go and do a bit of training, a bit of preparation for going abroad and doing some volunteering work. And whilst we were there, I don't remember... I have to confess, much of what we did in those two weeks. But there is one exercise that they asked us to do which really stands out in my mind. We were given the instructions uh, to draw the journey of our lives up until that point. That was sort of it. We were given pens and paper and sent off. Uh, Quite broad parameters, really. And as you might imagine, when we all gathered back together the next day, Uh, All of our images, our pictures of our journeys of life, were quite different. Uh, Some had drawn these beautiful spirals with different things on them. Uh, The mathematically minded, I seem to remember there was like a graph with sort of time and things, and they'd uh, done this wonderful sort of graph around that. Uh, All sorts of different things. And what I had drawn was a mountain, with me climbing up this mountain, which is quite ironic, because I've never climbed a mountain in my life. Uh, But that's what I had decided to do. And I had this path going up this mountain that I was climbing. And this path was doing all sorts of twists and turns and ups and downs. I think there was even a loop-de-loop at one point in this path as I was climbing this mountain. Uh, I obviously had felt that I'd been on a bit of a roller coaster of journeys. But there was lots of ups and downs. Uh, Things uh, that had gone on just in the circumstances of life that I had no control over but also some of the decisions, the choices that I had made uh, that had caused me to have ups and downs in my life. 
And some of those decisions were really big decisions that had had a huge impact. And some of them were quite small decisions that had still had a huge impact on my life. Life is a journey, and it is shaped by the choices, the decisions that we make. Uh, you will know that to be true for your own life. I wonder what you would have drawn if that task had been given to you. Perhaps you'll go and do that later on and see what you come up with. But Lent is also often described as a journey. There are Lenten studies that are called journeying through Lent. I don't know if you've done studies like that. I certainly have. And in our gospel reading that we heard today, Jesus is on a journey too, isn't he? He's journeying in the desert, and we had that read for us hearing all the choices that he had to make in that time, those choices that would set up his life and his ministry that was to come. They said something about who he was and how he would live. Well, what were the choices that he had to make? Well, it's a well-known story. I'm sure you've heard it before. This is, in fact, my third year preaching on the first Sunday in Lent. I just mentioned that so my superintendent hears it and perhaps preaches me for a different week uh, next year. Uh, But he makes lots of choices. Uh, You know it well. Jesus is baptized uh, in the Jordan by John and is told, uh, you are my beloved son by God. He has that affirmation of who he is. And then he's led by the Spirit into the desert. And he faces the devil who tempts him. And he has these three temptations to face. Firstly, the devil says, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Surely, Jesus would have been hungry. He had fasted, we read, for 40 days and night. I certainly would have been after some bread had I been fasting for 40 days. And we know, don't we, that God provides manna in the desert for God's people. So surely, it's not such a big deal for Jesus to make some bread. But Jesus doesn't choose to do that. He doesn't satisfy his hunger. He responds, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Sometimes the temptation here, uh, when it's spoken about, is said it's about the temptation between the material world and the spiritual world, about having the things that feed our bodies and feed our souls. I think that's probably part of what's going on here, but I don't think it's all of what's going on here. I think it's a bit more about how do we secure our lives? Who do we depend on to provide for what we need? Do we depend on God? God did provide manna in the desert, but the people didn't trust God, and instead they tried to hoard up that manna, didn't they? Uh, They didn't trust that God would provide day after day, and so they tried to keep it and, and store it up for themselves. And of course, that didn't last, it went rotten, and they needed, they had to learn that lesson. You need to depend on God day after day. And that's the story that Jesus is quoting from when he says, it is written, man shall depend on God alone. So there's no bread for Jesus. Well, not now, anyway. Uh, It's interesting that Lansford spoke about the feeding of the 5,000 at the beginning, because I was struck about the parallels between that. Jesus does... Jesus does perform that miracle and provide bread later in the gospel. An abundance of bread, enough to feed 5,000 men and women and children later on. Uh, He travels, he feeds those who have traveled to hear him speak. So Jesus could have turned the stones to bread. 
but he chose not to fulfill his own desires and rather trusted that God would give him all that he needs. So I wonder if we have that same trust. Do we trust that God will provide what we need? As we try to model our lives on Jesus, the one thing that we can learn from him is to trust in God. And then when the devil puts the next temptation before Jesus, he's listened to Jesus and he says, ah, I'm going to catch him out. And so he uses scripture, he quotes it. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus replies, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus knew the word of God. And even when the devil tried to twist it round and turn it and use scripture on him, Jesus shows us that it's more than just knowing the words. You need to know what they mean. You need to know God's own nature so that you can put his words in line with that relationship that you have with God. The words of God are a guide for our lives, but only when we live them out in relationship with our God. Jesus chose not to go down the cheap road of public exhibitionism, of throwing himself down so that the angels would lift him up. He chose not to be this public figure in that way, Instead, he walked the path towards kingdom, towards the cross. Jesus did perform miracles, we know that. But the miracles that Jesus performed were not self-serving. The miracles of Jesus always point the way to the kingdom. They bring life and light to others. He heals lepers, restores sight to the blind. He doesn't perform tricks to show how special he is. Jesus is not a magician in a show. He is the son of God who came to bring life in all its fullness for all people. And so he didn't give in to the first two temptations. And so then this third temptation, Jesus is offered power over all that he can see if he will worship the devil. And Jesus responds, away from me, Satan. It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The power that the devil was offering was over earthly kingdoms, over the Roman Empire, over a world where the structures of society enabled the privileged to stay in power and use their resources to exploit and repress others. It is power over others. Not for their own good, but power to manipulate, power to control and to use others. This is not the kind of power that God offers. It is so often the power that we seek out though, isn't it? We simply need to look at the world around us to know the strength and the lure of that kind of temptation. This week we marked one year since Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Putin's desire for power over others has caused his evil war that has destroyed the lives and livelihoods of many people, all because he wants more control over other people and other lands. As we marked the start of that awful war with a minute of silence on Friday, we were standing with the people of Ukraine and saying no 
to the temptation to want power over others. Life with God means seeking to live in a community where all are recognized as equal, where there is mutuality, where we live for one another, building each other up. Life in the kingdom of God is seeking a life of peace and love and joy. It means seeking justice where there is oppression and persecution. The temptation often is to ease our tensions and challenges in life by going along with the world around us, stepping into the values of society rather than living kingdom lives, rather than seeking our own power and wealth, living for one another, knowing that in the kingdom of God, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. On this first Sunday in Lent, the temptations of Jesus remind us that yielding to temptation will set us on a path to destruction. Jesus chooses not to take the path that the devil offers, the path where he fulfills his own needs, performs miracles to show his power, and then taking power over others. That is not the path that God wants for Jesus, and he doesn't give in to the temptation before him. In his obedience in this time of temptation, Jesus is leaning into his identity as God's beloved son. And this Lent, I encourage you to lean into your identity as God's beloved child, to be obedient to that call on your life, and to make the choices that will put you on the path towards the kingdom. On your journey this Lent, don't be tempted to take shortcuts Walk the path before you. Sometimes it will be hard. Other times it will be easy. But it will always be following in the footsteps of Jesus, who guides us to life in all its fullness. And so this Lent, let's offer up our lives in surrender to God. Amen.